I'm Bob Cudmore, and this is Talk of the Town on Magic 590, also heard on 100.5 in Albany, and on 1410 and 96.9 in the North Country. Joining us is Capital District Congressman Paul Tonko, a Democrat from New York's 20th District. Congressman Tonko lives in Amsterdam. He's been in Congress for 10 years. Good to have you with us, Congressman Tonko. It's great to join you and your listeners, Bob, and thank you for the many years of work that you've done as a talk show host that uh, builds community. So thank you. Well, thank Well, you're welcome. Uh, the most recent thing uh, that uh, I know that you did uh, was uh, during the past week, you were uh, organizer of a town hall on climate, which was held at Hudson Valley Community College in Troy. What concerns were voiced by the people attending? Well, certainly the uh, number one uh, uh, concern expressed was that of urgency. Uh, People know that um, uh, there are major changes taking place with our weather. Uh, There's concern, obviously, about the cost of inaction. Uh, and uh, the you know concerns that are expressed through increased insurance premiums, uh, the uh, uh, impact on uh, property damage, um, the certainly the public health uh, component that they expressed as a concern, and uh, of course disaster aid, which comes out of the, either the federal taxpayer pocket or the state taxpayer pocket. So, you know, they see those mounting costs. They see fires in the um, in the southwest. They see the flooding in our midland uh, in areas of uh, high agriculture um, yield, and certainly see the flooding in our area. And they're, ex- they're concerned. So urgency was one of those first uh, mm-hmm. expressions of concern. And then making certain that there's a workforce that is developed that can work through an innovation economy that will produce uh, the responses from greening up our power supplies with renewable energy to energy efficiency, which will require innovation that provides jobs from the uh, skilled trades over to the PhDs that will do the research to develop prototypes that become product lines for innovation. Okay. Uh, politics, of course, has invaded this realm of the climate and uh, climate change. I did note, uh, I, I saw a TV picture of the crowd. You had quite a, a turnout at uh, Hudson Valley, it I, seemed. I think there was a crowd of in excess of 300 people, which um, I think showed a lot of um, support for addressing this with policy in Washington. Uh, one of our hearings that we did, Bob, of, uh, of during this given course of session was the... Um, the uh, the uh, efforts that are made at the sto- state and local levels of government and by businesses in uh, response to climate change uh, and in the absence of federal action. Uh, and I think that, you know, we're seeing a lot of activity at state capitals and at local government levels that are addressing climate change. And they're just, I think, by their actions, making a statement to Washington saying, get the ball rolling because we need every bit of partnership here that we can muster so as to address that urgency of the issue. Because, as you well know, President Trump is, is no fan of the idea that the climate is changing for the worse or getting or the climate's getting warmer. It's interesting you should say that because one of the questions last night was about a New York Times uh, article that had come out that morning uh, of the hearing. And it was about um, how the president is, in my sense, cooking the books, uh, really taking a look 
at a very narrow, much more narrow uh, threshold of years, uh, rather than taking it out to 2100, as most of the technical types will do, he's taking the uh, the study of the impact out to 2040. So you're obviously not going to have as huge an impact because there's this cumulative effect that is measured over the decades. And so they're rolling it back, and they're also changing their methodology so that some of the impacts as they relate to public health won't be recognized by EPA. So it's an attempt to um, really diminish the issue and its impact. And I think that cooking the books here is the worst thing possible, along with pulling us out of the Paris uh, Agreement. Uh, So, you know, the whole world community, the international community is at the table. We should be there with them to not only, you know, express what we're doing at at the federal level here in the United States, but also to make certain that they're meeting their goals that were part of the agreement. Let me uh, bring up another topic. Our guest is Congressman Paul Tonko. Opioids. You've been advocating, as I understand it, for more emphasis on treatment for people with opioid right. addiction. Could you explain that? Sure. When I visit with the uh, the addiction community, Bob, the uh, the number one concern expressed by those living with this illness is that when they have their moment of clarity, they need treatment on demand. The statistics are dread dreadfully low in that regard. One in five of people uh, addicted. To, to whatever it might be, in opioids, uh, in, in, with opioids in this case, are getting treatment. So that four out of five, the 80% of the, the uh, area affected, the community affected, is not getting that treatment on demand. And so last year when we had done the uh, package of bills, I think there were in excess of 60 bills done in the House, uh, I wanted to make certain that the bill that we had drafted that increases that accessibility to treatment, uh, which I saw as the cornerstone of the reform package we were doing, needed to be done. We did that. It lifted the cap per doctor. Uh, There was this artificial cap of 100 100 patients per doctor. Uh, It is now lifted to 275. And we also added some additional disciplines like nurse practitioners and physician's assistants were trained. They can then be certified to administer um, uh, the the aid to the uh, the treatment to folks. Uh, this year, we just had a bill um, aired before the community, before the committee, uh, which deals with an enhancement of that approach uh, for those who are um, doctors who are trained and certified, licensed to provide uh, to prescribe opioids for pain management still have to go through this loophole at um, at the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, uh, if they want to uh, treat those who are addicted. Uh, it seems like a, a redundancy, a duplication of effort. And so they have tried this in France where they undid this loophole, and it's had tremendous results. We have a bill that removes that requirement of dr- jumping through yet another hoop to be able to serve the addiction community. And um, I hope to get that through the Senate so that uh, mm-hmm. we can further advance the accessibility of medication-assisted treatment. Let me ask you about another uh, issue, uh, broadband access. Sure. What, what is your broadband access bill? Well, our bill, which, again, 
uh, was recently uh, passed in the House. Um, and we did that with Susan Brooks from uh, Indiana, a Republican colleague who, as a former prosecutor, understood the the, uh, the concerns for broadband and uh, the need of services at the local level. Um, what we do, there are several agencies, Bob, that in the, at the federal level that will receive dollars that, that are dispensed, distributed across the country. We want to make certain we have a good inventorying of what each agency is doing, what areas of the country, which communities are served, unserved, underserved, and it really inventories and then puts together a plan of action so that um, we can provide for uh, remotely rural areas, for instance, that don't get the service they require. We've seen it in the town of Charlton. We've seen it in the town of Dewaynesburg. We're working with these communities to enhance their broadband service. Um, and, you know, it, it sounds like a, a common sense factor, and I believe it is, but there hadn't been that coordination amongst the agencies. And when we're spending the taxpayer dollar, I want to make certain that everyone is getting a fair shot at broadband service. This is about doctors reading x-rays, students doing their homework, um, seniors having the comfort and the security uh, in remotely rural areas to have uh, connection to the outside world. And it's also about some neighborhoods in inner cities that have been uh, passed by. So this will get us, I think, squarely set if we are to do an infrastructure bill where I would push to have a holistic approach to infrastructure, including broadband, which is uh, really the state-of-the-art communication effort these days. You're listening to Magic 590's Talk of the Town with our guest, Capital District Congressman Paul Tonko. Uh, We've been talking about uh, issues, Congressman, uh, climate, uh, opioids, broadband, but issues seem to come and stay in Washington uh, these days. They don't seem to come and go. Uh, Both sides in the political world are always criticizing each other. How can you get things done in Washington today? Well, you know, it's interesting that you ask because um, uh, earlier in the show I mentioned that Susan Brooks had joined us with the uh, broadband bill uh, to make it bipartisan, and she is out of the state of Indiana and also serves on the Energy and Commerce Committee, which uh, addresses the broadband issue, and I'm also a member of the Energy and Commerce Committee. What I've tried to do, because you can't, oftentimes you can't, legislate your way through some of these dilemmas. They're personal dynamics, they're human dynamics. I do believe relationship building is very important to get things done in Congress. And through my years in the Assembly and now uh, in my years at the House of Representatives, I've tried to make things bipartisan so that they can have the best chance of getting done and so that your consensus is truly a holistic uh, consensus. What I do is uh, ask my Republican colleagues uh, one-on-one, just the two of us, no staff, no two or three members of one party uh, versus one of another. Uh, So one-on-one, we go to dinner, and we talk about their districts. I share my thoughts about my district, uh, what we want to get done, what motivated us to run uh, for a seat in Congress. And I think that relationship building is the start of working through the acrimony that is just not helpful. And it seems as though people play off of that um, during election time and then don't let it go. And I have found it to be very useful. I've been, you know, met with colleagues for dinner that are from Texas and certainly from Ohio and various states across the country, Missouri. And I get to know more about the issues that we're approaching from their perspective, which is helpful. 
In the House of Representatives, uh, there are some Democrats who want to impeach President Trump. Are you one of them? Now, you know, I think when it comes to the impeachment exercise, what we really need to do is drill down and get all the facts, the information on the Mueller report. I think the investigator, uh, when he put his report together, very much assigned additional duties to be carried through. Uh, he took it as far as he could with the resources he had and the authority that he had. He clearly indicates in the report that there are areas that he could not exonerate uh, the president uh, from certain actions. He encouraged the Congress to work through that. What we're trying to do is drill down and get this information for generations' sake that will follow us. When you're messing with our election process, when there is identified hacking going on, I believe we need to know what were the sources, how did that happen, and how can we prevent it in the future. And so the request here of the several committees four or five committees that have the jurisdiction in this given area need to uh, do their homework. And to do their homework, they need information exchange. And I think, you know, we're talking about obstruction uh, as, a big, as a big issue. Let's we'll start with the obstruction of the process. That I find very, um, you know, concerning uh, because we need to get this done. And as the president has indicated that there's no there's there there's no wrong there. Well, then prove that. Just give us the information. Let us go forward. And um, and if that should lead to additional concerns or a, a concern that's raised to a level of impeachment, so be it. But right now, it's about drilling down and getting the facts together so that we can put a plan together that will not allow the fundamental foundation of our republic, our democracy, be tampered with, and that being the you know, activities at the voting booth. So you're saying it's not the time for impeachment now? I'm saying that when you, know, when you build a case, I, I think if for those who want to go to impeachment now, I'm saying why do you not want to build your best case? If you truly believe there's stuff there, anybody, any team, any prosecutorial team will put together their best case and I would say there's more information to be researched. And if it proves further guilt, then you, I think you've developed an even stronger case. And I, I'm concerned that, you know, an impeachment does divide the country. But if it gets to the point where, you know, the case is overwhelming, I think we need to uh, act accordingly. As a practical matter, I mean, uh, the House could impeach with the Democratic majority there, but it's very unlikely that uh, the president would be convicted in the Senate. Right. And I think, you know, the general public will drive this uh, issue. And as more information is released, if it exonerates the president, so be it. If it proves guilt, so be it. But I think the public will respond to the facts hmm. uh, as they're determined uh, through investigation. Talking with Paul Tonko, uh, Capital District Congressman. Let me uh, ask you about abortion. Several states, notably Alabama, have restricted the legal ability of women to get abortions, and cases are uh, proceeding toward the uh, Supreme Court on this issue. What are your thoughts on the abortion issue and its impact on next year's election? I do note that uh, one uh, person who's announced uh, that she's running for your seat says that uh, right to life will be one of her uh, major issues. Right. I think what you have are some of the... um evangelical leaders that are far right in their thinking on this issue saying that this was a flawed bill, 
that came out of the Alabama legislature and signed by the Alabama governor. I, I believe they see it so extreme where you don't allow for given situations of rape or incest or, uh, you know, some sort of um, uh, extremes that are guaranteed women in the process. And so some of these more avid uh, advocates of, of um, you know, a pro-life agenda have indicated that this bill will not pass muster uh, before the highest court in the land. And they're concerned about how this movement has taken such a far extreme uh, position uh, on an issue that has, uh, I think, raised a lot of uh, awareness amongst uh, women and men. Hmm. Uh, there's a, uh, we talked about climate change, and in the past, uh, health care was a, an issue, dare I say, that, that Democrats were able to use effectively. People were concerned about health care. What's happened to health care as an issue? Well, you know, there have been a number of issues that have been addressed in the um, in the House uh, this year. Uh, at times, they don't even get covered, and, and they should because healthcare remains the number one issue with the American public. There have been um, strong efforts made to again protect the pre-existing condition language uh, that requires insurance companies to uh, not be biased against those who have pre-existing conditions. There have been efforts made, a couple of efforts on pharmaceutical uh, costs, the prescription drugs that people require to stay healthy or to stay alive. Uh, We have put together some bills that bend that cost curve, and there's work on an additional package that will be coming out of the Health Subcommittee of Energy and Commerce, on which I serve. So there's a lot of activity going on to uh, even strengthen markets um, in the country so that there's more competitive quality uh, to um, the efforts of providing health care at an affordable uh, level uh, and certainly with greatest access. Your district includes one of America's most iconic uh, horse racing tracks, Saratoga, and your co-sponsor of the Horse Racing Integrity Act. What would that do? Well, it's another bipartisan bill that I've done, in this case, with Andy Barr from the state of Kentucky. Um, Obviously, Kentucky, Saratoga, great um, uh, locations for, um, you know, very soundly traditional horse racing industries. And uh, our bill would put together a commission that is balanced. It's um, partly um, seated with uh, members of the horse racing industry, various stakeholders, from jockeys, former jockeys, over to trainers and the like. And it's matched with um, a, a team of officials that have been very much involved in drug uh, uh, policy as it relates to Olympian athletes. That would put together a panel that would address national standards for medication as it relates to the equine athlete. And, you know, I believe, Bob, that with so many offerings in the sports world these days, Fans are very discerning. The general public is very discerning. If they see an industry uh, offering some sort of abusive approach to athletes, equine athletes, I think it damages the the, the future uh, of this and the strength of the uh, of the sport. And so, because of its importance to upstate New York, of the, in, its importance to this 20th congressional district, with that um, economic impact, I think it's over five billion for the state of New York. We want to make certain that 
the sport as it goes forward is strengthened. And if we can provide for standardized approaches to medication, which which medications can be utilized, which medications cannot be utilized, same-day medication issues that will be addressed, they will set the punitive measures that will accompany the effort, and the um, the whole thing will be financed by the industry itself. Mm. So it's an order of governance, including some self-governance in there mixed with those experts who have worked with human athletes, Olympian athletes, so as to put the equine athlete front and center in the process, and even protecting folks like the jockeys, Mm -hmm. because some jockeys have prematurely retired because of their concerns for safety. So I think it's a shot in the arm, so to speak, Um, no pun intended there, but it's a strengthener of uh, of the industry by looking at the wellness, the protecting the uh, uh, the dignity of the equine athlete. Well, people are concerned, are they not, about the horse racing deaths? Well, interestingly, as our bill, we, Andy and I, Congressman Barr and I, have worked on this for several years. Um, I think it goes back to 2015. But with the incidents of late at Santa Anita, it drew a lot of attention so that we have gained a lot of additional okay. co-sponsors on the legislation. You've been listening to Talk of the Town with our guest, Capital District Congressman Paul Tonko. This program can be heard as a podcast on albanymagic.com and bobcudmore.com. Next week on Talk of the Town, our guest will be Daily Gazette news columnist Sarah Foss. For Magic 590 and 100.5, I'm Bob Cudmore.